morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us talking, get us thinking, get us imagining, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do something because we made the connection. Rick Bernardo is my co-host. He's an ethicist and an artist and a musician and a comedian and an all-around interesting uh, cohort and a co-host in crime here with us on Connections Radio Show. And um, we're going to be having uh, Rick lead the conversation today. And he has invited a colleague uh, and friend, Stuart Pimser. Stuart was on our show on September 19th. If you'd like to go back and listen to that show, we'd love to have you listen to that as well. But Rick, I'm going to let you introduce and talk a little bit about the last show. It's all there on the AM950 website, and there is a page for Connections Radio that's easy to find on the program broadcasts link there. And Stuart Pimsler, and uh, I met him for the first time six, seven years ago at a Connecticut College gathering in the Midwest. It sounds like we did that in the middle of a prairie or something, <laughs> but um, and I did not know that Stewart had gone to Connecticut College, and I found out later on he had his master's in in uh, oh I have it here somewhere uh, master's degree basically at Con College in dance and theater arts, and that's probably why I hadn't run into him a whole lot because uh, it was a different echelon. But uh, he also Stewart um, founded. And overseas uh, as an artistic director, Stuart, Pim- Stuart Pimsler Dance and Theater in-, in Minneapolis. And he works all over the place. Uh, the last broadcast, we talked about his book, The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression. And um, he's best to describe the work, but it's fascinating uh, as a one of the things that's a strength of many colleges now, including Connecticut College years ago. I go back to the 1800s class, uh, is is interdisciplinary work. And it, it, it I was always led to think across disciplines, which are, when you think about it are just – they have a history of being labeled, well, that's biology and that's dance and that's religion and, you know, so uh, – but there's connections all over the place. Here we are on Connections Radio. So, Stuart, good morning. Good, good to morning. have you back good here. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lori. And uh, a little more about Stuart. Um, the company uh, Stuart Pimsler Dance and Theater uh, has been presented throughout the United States and internationally in Canada and Europe and Taiwan, Russia, Bermuda. That's a lot of places. And there's a counting list ongoing. And he's been doing this work. In fact, uh, just about three weeks ago, I came across some people at an art exhibit that knew – Stewart's work and had been involved in it because they had been involved with health education. So anyway, Stuart, good morning again. Um, good to see you again. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, could you <laughs> l- let us know a little more about um, – uh, let's recap. There was what got you into dance, number one, and what, ge- what led you to really um, pushing – the field of dance into um, – I always see dance as healing in a lot of ways, but 
what led to this sort of form of it? Because you're you're doing workshops with institutions and individuals all about how do we care for the caregiver, professional or not. Uh, and that seems such like such an ongoing need. But what led to that again? Yeah. Well, thank you for that lead-in. So my connection to dance was uh, later in life. I I was in college. I was an English major during the Vietnam era. So I became very caught up in the politics of the time. And upon graduation, I had two choices. One was I was applying to go into graduate writing programs or law school. Uh, Again, obviously, both of those having nothing to do with dance. And I chose law school because I thought it would be a good outlet for me to direct my political interests. And I was mistaken. That was not the best choice for me. But while I was in law school, I was dating a dancer. But you did graduate from law school, right? I did and, graduate. And you, I took the bar in New York. I took the bar and, and everything. Passed. Yes, yes. And that was my uh, fond farewell to that part of my life. <laughs> because during law school, thank you so much, uh, and I'm saying this with all due respect to all of the lawyers out there in your uh, listening land, mm-hmm. but in law school, uh, I was not uh, a happy camper, and my girlfriend at the time, a dancer, uh, suggested maybe I try a dance class. And I I was an athlete growing up, did a lot of sports, and I walked into a dance class and I was smitten. I thought this is addressing a need that law school was not at the time. I didn't know specifically what that was, but I learned about what that need was later. Did you find that it was a physical and spiritual and emotional? I mean, did it create that cross-section for you? Is that part of what ignited? Yes, yes. And since you mentioned that, Laurie, in your question, that might be a a good lead-in to something that I mentioned in my book, which is described by WHO, the World Health Organization, when they talk about the definition of what it means to be a healthy human being. And I quote, this is from my book, uh, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And I love that. uh, Yeah. Because so often we we think of healthy as just healing. You you think of health, you know, you just take the TH off, healing from being ill versus celebrating what it means to be alive. Yes. And I I think this is a very uh, contemporary, enlightened, and I think informed sense of what it means to be healthy, that there's things we can do to contribute to our own health before we go and seek out our beloved caregivers. Mm -hmm. But getting back, Rick, to your second part of your question, which was how did I get into this work? So here I am. I'm now, just to move my uh, autobiography along a little bit, here I am in law school. I've graduated. Uh, I've decided after taking the bar, this is not for me. I decide I really want to be a dancer. Well, I'm in my mid-20s at this point, not an ideal time to begin the study of dance. Where so many start at like three or four. Correct, (laughs) correct. 
And luckily, I find somebody who's running an MFA program at Connecticut College who's interested in individuals who have had a, a somewhat circuitous route to the field of dance. Well, here I am. I am the epitome of circularity entering the field. And we connect. She invites me to come uh, be a MFA fellowship student uh, at Connecticut College. I do my master's. I graduate. I start a dance company. And I was always, and I think this is uh, attributed to my interest in politics, I was always interested in trying to find ways to connect my audiences more to the work. Rather than being passive viewers, how can I get them involved? And so, uh, coincidentally, uh, as the title of your radio show is Connections, we early on in our dance company started a program called Community Connections, which was finding ways to connect with community to bring them and have them participate in our work. And we were part of a larger genre of work that has been going on for a while in the field of the arts called community-inclusive, community-engaged work. And it was from that interest that we were then led to the healthcare community, which is a whole other story that comes from a work that I created in memory of my mother who died when I was 15. And it was from that work that we created a bridge to the healthcare community. Thank you so much. And that word health that we had talked about, um, I, I, I always try to remember it derives from uh, a, a key word that just means whole. And there's always different levels of wholeness for all of us. And <clears throat> it's not always alone. We, we become whole with other people and in dialogue with other activities, other connections. Um, so the website for Choreography of Care is actually choreographyofcare.com. That's the best place to go to find out, uh, get a window into that work. You also have another website, uh, stuartpinsler.com. Which is the best one to get your book? The best one is choreographyofcare.com. Very easy. You can read excerpts. You can uh, have a background more fully described than I just did. And there's a little button you can push for either a paperback or a hardcover edition of the book. I love that you address the need for and the nature of caregiving. And you look at it with health professionals, but you have a broader definition. Anyone who needs to be caring for another can benefit from the arts and can benefit from the dance and the exercises and the ideas that you recommend. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I really enjoy uh, mentioning in these settings is the fact that creativity, like running, walking, any other physical pursuit, acts similarly with our brain and our whole neurology in that there is the same kind of release, serotonin release that occurs when we all experience that elevation of feeling good when we've accomplished some physical activity. Creativity does that same thing to us. And so I like thinking about creative engagement as an aerobic activity. 
And with that, we'll go to our uh, commercial break uh, and be able to share uh, in our next segment some exercises and ideas that you have to recommend for us to be thinking about creativity. Thanks so much, Stuart, and great job in bringing a great guest and leading our conversation, Rick. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And today, my co-host, Rick Bernardo, is going to be leading our conversation with Stuart Pimsler. Stuart has written an amazing book called The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression, and it's now available. And you have some great ideas about sharing about this book. Rick. Me? Yes, you, Rick. Who, me? Yes, you. Uh, that's that look on my face perpetually anyway. Who, me? Uh, Stuart Pimsler, by the way, um, he works with uh, populations including students, caregivers, audiences, and community members. And choreographyofcare.com is the best place to go about that work. And his workshops uh, are um, – I was just saying in the previous segment, they're cross-disciplinary. The, uh, they're about wholeness and healing. But uh, – I wanted to get uh, now I have I have a, a background in, in theater and some other physical activities. I guess we all do. And um so I can imagine As in physical activities. Yeah, yeah physical activities, yeah. <laughs> I, I always use my body for something. Something, something. Mean, it comes in handy. Even if it's just sitting here. <laughs> um but so to, but it's important to remember that. I mean that's that that's silly the way I put it, but there's but a, no, but there's a truth there. There is a truth, and, and I was teasing you yeah. back. But yeah. so often yeah. we can get in our head, yeah. and we think that's where we live. Well, I, and then we get on social media, or we get yeah. on the computer, and that's our identity or whatnot. We, yeah. And really, yeah. we, we have a body that we should use more. There's no way to show up without our body, <laughs> that's really. That's so true. it's so important to remember that. So in that vein, though, there's this choreography of care work uh, that uh, – especially for caregivers uh, – I think we all know how in deep need they are for caring for themselves. So some examples, uh, just even just one example of what kind of activity uh, do the people you work with, um, what, what is that sort of group and what does it look like to do a module in a workshop? So before I, I, I answer that, I just wanted to preface it, if it's all right, with a, another excerpt from my book that talks about why – it's important that caregivers engage in creativity. And uh, this is from uh, page 113 in my book where I, I talk about research in the U.S. and elsewhere continues to document the art's impact on health while being extolled by distinguished health experts such as Vivek H. Murthy, the 19th Surgeon General of the U.S. And I'm quoting him. Within the arts lies a powerful but largely untapped force for healing. The arts and sciences are two sides of the same coin, which is our shared humanity. Dr. Murray opines that one's ability to live a fulfilled, healthy life depends on ways to bring the arts and sciences together. So, this is not just me as an artist saying, gosh, I'm an, I'm an artist, I love what I do, and I think everybody should do it. But rather, there's now hard research that shows the ways in which creativity actually not only sets off certain healing chemicals in the body, but just one's general state of being 
is enhanced by the implementation of creativity into one's life. So we, I, I thought it was important to, to mention that before I go into talking about one of the, the wild and crazy exercises that we do in our workshops. And before you even do that, my background is in science and religion, and there's a long list of scientists who will extol the virtues of creativity. You can't analyze something without the other side of that coin being somehow creative. Uh, you've got to imagine Einstein is famous for saying imagination is the most important tool for him. Uh, so uh, uh, let alone uh, envisioning and, and then embodying all of that. So anyway, there's so many connections. I'm with you there. Yeah, and, and there are now other authors talking about the value of creativity, not just for healthcare providers, but throughout the corporate sector. Daniel Pink, in one of his books, talks about the importance of the ways in which corporations are valuing creativity and hiring artists to bring them into the workplace. But uh, let's talk about a particular exercise that we at Stuart Pimsler Dance and Theater have created. Uh, we've like a lot of the work in dance, we uh, th there's a tradition of handing work down through the ages. And this is a, uh, an exercise that we borrowed from a colleague uh, that we credit. Uh, it's called Landscapes. And each time we offer creative exercise to healthcare providers, we always try to have it connect to their workplace so that they can understand why we're asking them to do some of these things that are really out of their comfort zone and let them experience it and then make the connection at the end, which I'll do as I explain what this is. is. So landscapes, what is that? It's an exercise that we uh, do with healthcare providers mainly to talk about their observational skills. Healthcare providers, as we all know, typically are in a rush. There's a lot of patients to see. During the pandemic, as we all know, they were overworked, overextended. And, and pushed by insurance very often to have X number of minutes and X number of folks that they see in order to make, you know, idea, unfortunately, quotas. Uh, yes. And so they're constantly in action mode. They're doing, doing, doing. And what this exercise that we do with them uh, it emphasizes is observation. To take a breath when you come into a room before you go into your checklist of usually a chart that talks about how, how, how's your health, how's your weight, uh, how's your ache, but to look, look at the, them. And I have to say coincidentally this week – I went to my annual checkup. My doctor is an osteopath, and he's incredible. He just read my book, and we've been seeing each other for years. He walked into the office where I was sitting, and he just stood there, and he looked at me. And I, just, I didn't ask him. This was different in the past, but he had the feeling that he was playing back to me some of these exercises. That he and paid attention. He paid attention, <laughs> and I appreciated it. So landscapes, what is that? It starts as a duet. We have one person make a shape, any kind of shape. We talk about the positive space that is inhabited by one's body and the negative space, mm. which is where 
the empty space around one's body. So there's positive space and negative empty space. And we ask the person who has not made the shape to look at their, their partner, who is now kind of statuesque. Uh-huh. Imagine any kind of statue, uh, the Statue of Liberty, yeah. uh, a famous Rodin sculpture. The thinker. <laughs> the thinker, right. And the thinker has different negative spaces. Yes. And so we ask them to look and then to walk around the person and observe the shape. And then we ask them to make a complementary shape to their partner, mm. hold that shape, and the first person dissolves their shape and starts to walk around and observe their partner's shape. So it becomes this kind of ping-pong match. And iterations. And iterations, yes. Talk uh, about awareness. Yeah. And awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wow. really about looking at each and every detail of the person before making a choice. So, uh, of course, children love this game. Oh, yeah. Adults at first feel a little out of place, but once they start to engage, they're really in it. What's wonderful is I think of someone maybe being nervous and wanting to do it right and being able to learn that there is no absolute right. There's only interpretation. What can you do with that? Yeah, awesome. And one of the core concepts uh, behind creativity is play, which does not have an agenda exactly. It's just like you do, just do things, you know, and, and that's a core thing. So thank you. Yeah. I want to continue our conversation and questions in our next segment because we're running out of time on this yeah. one. But I'd love to question in more about how that exercise impacts people. Well, I also want to let folks know that they can go to choreographyofcare.com to get this book. And we'll be right back after just a few short commercial break. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And our co-host, Rick Bernardo, will be leading our conversation today with Stuart Pimsler. Stuart was on the show back in September 19th, so if you want to go back to am950radio.com and scroll down to the connections and you click on that connections icon, uh, you can go to September 19th and hear some backstory uh, to the book that he's written. Uh, and the book is called The Choreography of Care. Engaging Caregivers in a Creative Expression, uh, in Creative Expression, and it's available. And so you can just go right to that website and pick it up. It's a terrific book. Exactly. What she said. (laughs) I'm Rick, and we've got Stuart Pimsler with us, and good to see you again. Good morning. Good morning. And we were just looking and hearing about an activity called Landscapes that you do with caregivers uh, that the, what, from what I'm hearing, it really just stimulates and practices noticing, practice them noticing uh, and their, being in the their, moment, their, their their own selves in the moment with others without too much of an agenda. But um, we were going to continue that because yeah, this and is just fascinating. A, a quick recap for those who may just be joining us: yeah. uh, a person notices a person who's in a pose and does their best to create that pose for themselves? Is that? Uh, Yeah, more about complementing the pose. 
So it does turn into a different pose. Yes. Yeah, so like ongoing puzzle pieces of some kind. Correct. <laughs> I think that's a great description, Rick. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I've never been there, but okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as they create the complementary pose, then the next person will do the same. Correct. So, so you have complementary to complementary. And the complement to the pose that that person has just done when they complement it, it may not look like the first pose. Is that right? Not at all. It's not about copying it. Right. It's about complementing it. So go. it's about listening mm-hmm. and seeing and responding. And again, those are elements that we try to underline for all of our exercises so that we're asking the caregivers to create, but then extrapolate from their creative experience how it relates to the workplace. And if I could just touch on another excerpt sure. from my book that talks about how landscapes, this exercise, particularly relates to entrances and exits. So caregivers are constantly entering a space where they have a patient and leaving. I mean, that is functional for them. They have to go in and out of a room. And my guess is they're in their head a lot. In their head. Out and again, they're, they're constantly in action. Mm-hmm. They're coming in to do something. And check off the box. And check off the box. But in that moment of coming in, a patient is looking. And so we pose some of these prompts as part of this exercise. And this is from my book, How Do Caregivers Come Into the Space of Their Patients? Do they begin talking at the door or wait until they are at the bedside? A caregiver beginning a conversation while hand-washing with back turned may cause the patient to feel slighted and irritated. How can I hear you with the water running? How can the caregiver convey a sense of really being present versus merely passing through on their way to the next stop? How will the caregiver depart from the room? And again, we don't offer judgments about their choices, but these are prompts to have them think about what they're doing in their own practice. I have to share a quick story about exactly that. When I was um, in the hospital, I had just had surgery on my uh, – an accident I had on my ankle, and they had to rebuild my ankle. Fascinating, great doctor, known for doing great work, was very grateful that he did it. Terrible bedside manner. So he had teaching. It was a teaching hospital. It brought in all these folks, and they never said anything to me. They just were talking about my ankle. And never addressed me, and it was all about my leg and all about how they could teach about what he had done. And finally, I said, stop. Mm. I want each one of you to greet me. I want you to know that I am a human being. I am not just an ankle. You may then go along and talk about whatever you want, but you must all stop now (laughs) and say hello to me. Who is the owner of that ankle? It's connected to this person here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Lori, that that dynamic is a part of the work that we're doing. That is that it's our own health is not the sole responsibility of our caregivers, mm-hmm. that we as uh, consumers need to be advocates for ourselves. And so bravo to you for doing that. 
Well, it, it comes down to humanity as well. You know, it's not just me. It's I'm hoping it makes a difference for them going into the next room. Yep. That hey, whoever it is, connect with the human being first, and then have at it. <laughs> All that you need to do to teach each other. Yep. But yep. let's let's remember humanity. Yes. And let's also observe that there's no need to blame anybody about doing things right or wrong in this conversation. It's mainly about. Um, they can't be who they ought to be, in the words of Martin Luther King, unless the others are who they ought to be too as well. So there's this sort of win-win in, in the sense of just noticing and making choices that supports everybody's health and wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, in that moment, I didn't feel whole. I yeah. Felt, I felt I, like I was a God, Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. Well, there was something missing, I think. Yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, so so are there aha moments for the doctors when they go through these prompts? Yeah, I, I, I think that it's, of course, at our workshops, it becomes cumulative. Each exercise hopefully continues to open up new insights for the caregivers. And, you know, as we build the, the regimen of our, our exercises, we go from what we believe are the perhaps the safest. We always want the participants to be successful. So we go and, and remembering that they're doing creative engagement kinds of things that are not commonplace to them. I don't know how many doctors are, you know, dancing in between their visits to the uh, caregivers. It would be lovely if they were all doing that in the, you know, outside in the hallways, but I would think most are not. And so we build a kind of momentum with our exercises and we typically end with the most challenging. And this one, as the landscapes relates to observation, the last one that we do, which is called lifts, and it's self-explanatory, but I'll describe it anyway, is about support. How to let yourself be supported or how to support somebody else. Now, the latter, supporting somebody else, comes with the workplace, right? That's what caregivers are doing. But along the way, what are they doing to get their own support, which then goes to, of course, self-care, So lifts is just as it says. It's about being lifted by some by a group of others. So the way that works is we'll set up a small group, more than two, because most people cannot pick somebody else up by themselves. And depending on size, we usually have a group of four to six people and each person takes turns being held by the others. We show them. Safe ways to do that, bending knees, keeping their spine supported underneath themselves as they lift, and to watch what happens when an orthopedic surgeon gets elevated off the ground is uh, without – it's hard to describe. Wow. And in that moment, I hope that – it shifts for them in some way. Yes. And that there's a shift in terms of I don't have to do it all. Yes. Yes, I think that that happens. Metaphorically, what this exercise does is sets up that release, I think, for participants, as well as just a kind of joy about experiencing what it's like to have your own weight being supported by somebody else and being held by somebody else. And my guess is these doctors and caregivers 
have had a lot on their shoulders for a long time, and that takes its toll because every decision, every work, every moment that you are there for someone else, at what point do you can you get burned out yes. from that? And all these bodily terms we're using, having a lot yeah. on your shoulders, having a lot of money, you know, uh, saying things off the top of our head, we're, we're, we're full of language like that that refers to our body. But uh, the more we can be aware of our, of uh, just be in our bodies, uh, oh, man, that is a, a powerful image of an orthopedic surgeon being lifted up yeah. uh, yes. and a change. But also I see that connecting to different environments, not only when I mean, we're always changing rooms and changing environments. And that's a big part between the landscapes activity you described before and this lifts one. There's that uh, dynamic immersing uh, people in with each other and the environment all over the place. So that is so cool. Yeah, we, um, you know, one of the, uh, I don't want to dare to say one of the uh, benefits uh, of the pandemic it wasn't a benefit. The whole thing was, of course, horrible. But, but there were there were aha moments. Yes. Yeah. So we, there was yeah. learning opportunities. Yeah. And one of the things that I have taken away from the way that I was uh, teaching online, as we all were, you know, zooming, 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 was I encouraged participants to use the situation to their advantage in a lot of the nonverbal exercises. Specifically, I would encourage them to move as if nobody's watching. Mm -hmm. Because rather than a setting that we typically have of a workshop where everybody's gathered in one space, these workshops that we were doing during the pandemic, everybody was siloed away in their own space. So they had the advantage when I invited them to do something that was nonverbal and move. I said, if you feel uncomfortable, turn your video off and do it as if no one is watching. And now that I'm back live, I use that as a prompt. You know, and I encourage them either close your eyes or try to get into a space where you really don't care about what it is you're doing. And with medical care, doing more in terms of uh, connecting with Zoom and using that as a medium, and, and I, I see it in the future that we'll do more online work, um, that kind of support could be just wonderful to keep growing that sense of what does everyone need in the process. Getting back to what you said initially, how do we all become whole? And just one, one window into that as uh, I grew up in a, a radio of family broadcasters, and they always said, you know, even if you're on the phone, people can hear if you're smiling or not. We just are so attuned to that, the physicality of that. And we have to go to break, but we'll be back for our, our last segment um, and learning more about the role the arts can play in healing for strained health care and caregivers. Uh, and uh, the new book that Stuart Pinsler has written, The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression. So we'll be right back after just a few commercials, and we'll, we'll talk more about what can art do for our healing. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and Rick Bernardo is hosting this show with me, and he is going to be 
kind of doing a wrap up with Stuart on our conversation that we've had today, as well as if you guys want to go back to September 19th and get some more backstory about how this book was developed and the importance of it, you can go back to September 19th. And to do that, just go to www.am950radio.com. Scroll down, you'll see a, a nice little icon with Connections Radio Show. Click on that and go to September 19th. And you can hear our first show with Stuart Pinsler, who has written the book, The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression. It's now available. And the best way to get that book is to go to www.choreographyofcare.com. Rick. I'm Rick. You are Rick, and you have invited Stuart, and you have helped lead this conversation. Thank you. uh, Sure, and I'm so excited to share any sort of cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary work, especially involving our physicality, uh, which we really don't have a choice about right now uh, in in, in this life, uh, and creativeness. We do have a choice, though. We have a choice to, to more embrace Oh, we have. And, and a choice to, it's just to not, really fully fully take <clears throat> in all that that we sometimes ignore or run over. Right. And I think is part of why we get sick is exactly. that we don't pay attention. Exactly. And I was just saying that the all or nothing we don't have a choice about. We're either <laughs> physical or we're not. Yeah, that's true. And we're either alive or we're not. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, But anyway, fine-tuning that to – underscore what Laurie is saying, to fine-tune that, to increase our our power in that, which is not necessarily controlling people. It's just uh, how do we how do we really affect people for the better and inspire them? So that's what Stuart's work is is about. And thank you. And Stuart, you were talking about uh, two activities that you had done. Uh, you went, mentioned one called Landscapes and the other one was Lifts. Uh, and there's that image I will always have in my head of an orthopedic surgeon being lifted up. Um, I don't know why. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that in my head ever before. Uh, yeah, so, uh, of course, you know, being lifted off the ground is an exercise that we wait to do after uh, two or three days of workshops. You and need the trust. You need the trust. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think it's important for listeners to uh, imagine things that are not so grandiose as being lifted off the ground. <laughs> sure. And what can happen in their everyday lives to uh, improve their own physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. Uh, a lot of you – know, there are workshops now uh, for everybody to take, whether it's yoga or uh, spinal awareness or, or a- any kind of particular physical interest that one has, but which are great. But along the way, with a heightened awareness of our own daily habits and rituals, I, I strongly believe and advocate for our own individual caring for ourselves. Yeah. For example, uh, a, a beloved uncle of mine who had a very rigorous corporate life in midtown Manhattan, and he was a, a very, very much a physical creature. He would look for ways in his daily workplace that he could just continue to challenge himself physically. So what did that look like? And again, this is in the 60s and 50s. He spent a lot of time standing up when he would receive a phone call. The one thing that I also really remember him for, and I feel like it has spilled over into my own 
ways of going about my day-to-day is he would, whenever an opportunity presented itself, to not to make a choice between taking an elevator and climbing stairs, he would pick the stairs. And it could have been in the tallest skyscrapers in Manhattan. He would leave himself enough time so that he could get that kind of activity. And this was before the, the buildup and the popularity these days and the, the research. Before the Fitbit. Be, before the <laughs> Fitbit, correct. So, And then my mentor in grad school, Martha Myers, who just passes, passed away this year at the age of 96, Before she passed, I helped to write her memoirs, and she decided to title her book, Don't Sit Down. And this was a a dancer, choreographer, teacher her entire life. And when she was given a retirement party at Connecticut College, she was presented with a rocking chair. And she stood behind the rocking chair, looked at it, and said, nope. No, thank you. I'm not going to do it. And that became kind of her her mantra in the latter part of her life. So I, I think there's things we can do yeah. that are not uh, – you don't need an instructor yeah. for. I also think giving ourselves permission, like you'd said in the last segment, how dance like nobody's watching, Right. I remember when I was doing caretaking for my father when I was in high school who had a stroke. And there were times I just got angry because I had to repeat myself over and over again and each time try and pretend it was the first time because I didn't want to be disrespectful. But if I had known or or understood that maybe doing some dancing, I could work out some of that anger. I could have let go. I could have had a chance to, and you just don't think of that when you've got your to-do list of umpting things and you don't want to be selfish and, and go, I can't even take that time because I've got so much on my list. Yeah, I think if, if caretakers, whether they're doctors or in the family and you're dealing with a challenge, can just take a moment and go, let's dance. I mean, that. It sounds revolutionary. It's really not. I mean, we, we learn to dance before we walk. <laughs> so it's in our body to move. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that your listeners uh, don't turn turn off the station when because they, they've now heard the word dance. <laughs> no, because dance in the United States is, uh, we've experienced, is oftentimes a pushback. Mm-hmm. People close down. It's like, oh, I don't want to dance. So I, I'm not talking about people going and getting lessons, but rather moving their body. Self-expression. Self-expression. Just moving. Walking is a kind of dance. Running is a kind of dance. Being still is a kind of dance if there's an awareness mm-hmm. about that. It's a kind of movement. So, I, 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 again, I, our workshops, we don't have people come in and stand with their uh, in a turned-out balletic <laughs> position and learn steps. The five positions. Right. <laughs> the, the thing I'm hearing from what both Laurie and Stuart are, is, I mean, here so many things in common, but is there's in common this, how do we use our energy? Uh, there's an, there's an energy to anger and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really is meant to go somewhere. If we don't have anywhere to go with it, it's, uh, it's miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we have a way to express it, any emotion, if it has a way to express, we feel a release and we feel embodied. That is, um, if we know how to channel it, that's what being a powerful human can be. And even noticing that anger at its root is probably a pain or a hurt. 
So it, how, how do you learn how yeah. to perhaps let that hurt be expressed through movement? And, yeah. and we, a number of years ago, we did a, uh, a series of workshops for stroke survivors at North Memorial Hospital Stroke Center. A nurse who we had met at a nursing conference when we had done a presentation moved to Minneapolis and had gotten a, her own a stroke. And she reached out to us, and we had never worked with stroke survivors before. And we were asked to create a performance work for stroke survivors and their caregivers. And the very first thing we did at the workshop was we asked each couple to remember and talk about the day that they had their stroke. Wow. And, and they did what you both just did. Yeah. They first went, oh, wow. But they then began to talk and write down, because we asked them to record that, what happened. And there was something that they all said that was deeply empowering to them about being asked to revisit that moment that they had not really discussed with anybody but their doctor, and that was just as a kind of setting the, right. the ground to, for the fact pattern of their medical history. But talking about what that felt like and what it felt like afterwards, which in a lot of cases meant the stroke survivor losing some sort of ability that they had had and now it was gone. What does that feel like to be diminished? And so in doing that, we were celebrating, you know, their individuality, and they heard that there was a kind of commonality amongst each other that they were – and found a way to support each other by sharing those stories. I can see where that could be healing. You know, when you first said that that day, it came back to me, you know, vividly, that moment that we knew that he was having a stroke. And he had several. He had two to three. So it's like two to three instances of each time getting worse over a period of December. And the first thought was, I just want to start bawling. Yeah. But then the next thought is how good that would be maybe. <laughs> yes. yes. There's, there's a wonderful uh, excerpt from Stewart's book, The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression, about how research is <clears throat> proving that movement is not merely a physical and emotional response, although that's key. Uh, it's a form of embodied con cognition at the sensory level. The specificity of our movement provides clues to who we are. Uh, that's a great description of what we were just talking about. Uh, choreographyofcare.com, that's the website, Stuart Pimsler. We both went to Khan College, and so that was the connection that goes back decades. And thank you, Stuart, for taking the time to explore art and healing. Thank you both for doing what you guys do. It's been a joy being here. Thank you. Well, you, you bring to light important things that so many people can think about in different ways so that the caregiver who is employed, how do they incorporate that into their job, to f folks who have been impacted by either chronic illness or an accident can think about how can art serve a role in their life and the caregiver in the family, uh, what can they do? And ultimately it all comes down to let's dance, let's move, move. Um, let's celebrate who we are through the art of movement. So thank you. Stay with us uh, for next week as well. Uh, go get that book. Go get The Choreography of Care, Engaging Caregivers in Creative Expression. 
See ya. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. Thanks, I'm thanks. still Rick. <laughs> You're still Rick and Stuart's still here. And we're here for another five seconds. So thank you for being with us and for joining us next week on Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.